Charlie Thompson was laid out on the couch. It was snowing and nighttime, and he was running a fever of 103. There was a film of sweat over his body, and he was freezing, even though there was a sleeping bag over him and two blankets and a white sheet, and it wasn't cold in the room. The boy squirmed around on the couch, unconscious and sick, and the wind howled at the windows and tried to leak around the edges into the room. He could hear things, but he was so tired he couldn't open his eyes, and his mind drifted in and out of fever dreams and sleep. Jesus, you all right, Lonnie Dixon said, and finally shook him awake. You keep moaning. I do, Charlie said, and slowly opened his eyes. Is it time to get up? Almost. She's getting breakfast together. She's making us waffles. Oh, I like waffles, Charlie said. I know, man. That's why she's making them. I guess I fell asleep last night. Did you fix a log splitter? The boy sat up and ran his hands through his hair and put on his pants, a blue flannel shirt, and boots. I don't know, Lonnie said. That thing's days are numbered. Anyway, you feeling better? I'm not too bad. Anyway, splitting and stacking wood isn't hard. I can do that even if I am sick. Ah, but you don't have to, man. It's your birthday, and it's Saturday. You know he won't pay us for Saturdays anymore. He's broke. More or less, we have the whole weekend off. We'll chop wood on Monday. Well, I forgot about that, Charlie said. My ass, you forgot. I did, the boy said. Well, my present to you is I'm not going to wear my teeth all day, and you can laugh all you want, and I ain't going to get upset. Lonnie went to the concrete sink in the corner of the shop where they both slept. He took out a bridge that held in his four false front teeth and set it on a small wooden shelf. He turned around and smiled. There you go. Charlie looked at him and started laughing, and that caused him to begin coughing, and his coughing was thick and deep. Man, you really are sick, Lonnie said. I guess I am. Why are you too sick to eat? I ain't never been that sick, the boy said, and put on his black canvas coat, and they walked into the blue dawn light. The sky was clear, with only faint streaks of clouds, and the sun was starting to come up behind the mountains as they went across the dirt drive to a lime-green, double-wide trailer. Lonnie opened the front door and then went inside. A wood stove lit the living room where two old dogs slept on a worn-out couch. They went down a hall to the kitchen where a fat middle-aged woman dressed in gym sweats stood at the stove smoking a cigarette and cooking. Jesus, you really are making waffles, Lonnie said and went to the fridge and took out a carton of orange juice and set it on the table. Well, I told you I would, the woman said. I know you did. I just didn't really think you had it in you. The woman gave him a look and smiled at Charlie. Happy birthday, she told him. The boy thanked her and sat down. Under the kitchen light, he looked pale and the skin was dark underneath his eyes and he was sweating. Lonnie poured a cup of coffee and said, I think Charlie's sick. Well, what do you got, Charlie? The woman asked in a kind voice. Well, I'm not sure, he said. He was coughing all last night and it sounded pretty horrible, Lonnie said. The woman felt Charlie's face then walked down the hall and came back with a bottle of Dayquil and three aspirin. She set the pills down in front of him. Take these after you eat, but drink two spoonfuls of this right now. Charlie nodded and drank the medicine and the woman went back to the stove and flipped over the bacon. So what are you two delinquents doing today? Well, Charlie and me are going to ride over to Herringfield's place. He's hiring us to help dig out his septic tank. Plus I hired Charlie to go through the house's crawl space. I guess Herringfield's plumbing's all messed up and I don't like confined spaces. 
and the old man's way too fat to fit under there, so I just got Charlie to do it. The woman knocked the ash from her cigarette into the sink. It's his birthday, and you're going to make him spend all day in a crawl space? It won't take that long, Lonnie said. Well, this is all news to me, Charlie said. Earlier this morning, Lonnie said we had the whole weekend off. I didn't say that, Lonnie said and smiled, and when he did, the gap where his teeth were showed, and that made Charlie laugh, and that made his cough start. See, see, that's the cough I was talking about, Lonnie said to the woman. It doesn't sound good, does it? No, she said. You better pour him some orange juice. It's him showing me his missing teeth that makes me cough, Charlie said. I'm not that sick. Well, I'm sure you'll live, the woman said, and opened the oven where a stack of waffles sat on a plate. She took them out and pulled the bacon off the stove and set it all down on a table where three plates and a bottle of syrup sat. Against a brown pole barn, Lonnie leaned a Honda motorcycle and wiped it down with a wet rag and waited until Charlie had saddled and brought out a 17-year-old paint horse named Elroy. So how is Elroy this morning, Lonnie asked. I don't think he's woken up yet, Charlie said. What are you doing with your motorcycle? Herringfield says he knows how to fix them. But I didn't even know it was broken. Oh, it is, Lonnie said. And you're going to push it all the way there? Well, I guess I'll have to because it's your birthday and you're sick, he said, and started pushing the bike. Charlie got up on Elroy and gave him a kick, and they headed down the main gravel road, past a row of broken-down cars and a collapsed metal shed, and they started on the three miles to the old man's ranch. You remember that one time we rode this thing all the way to Tonopah, Lonnie said, pushing the bike. And that movie was no good, and that girl never showed up to meet us. And it was colder than shit, Charlie added. You were on the back, man. I had all the wind. Think how cold I was. I guess you're right, Charlie said. Of course I'm right. Shit, man, I'm always right, he said and spit on the ground. So how's Elroy now? Is he being a pain in the ass yet? No, not really, the boy said. He's just wondering why he can't sit around all day and sleep like everyone else. Well, I'm wondering the same thing, Lonnie said, but a job's a job. Charlie coughed again and wiped his nose on his coat. Lonnie stopped and took a ski cap from his pocket and put it on. The sun was just getting over the mountains, and the golden light of morning appeared. Did you hear him come in last night? I don't think so, the boy said. You didn't hear him run into the stock tank? No. He banged the shit out of it. I didn't hear anything until you woke me up, Charlie said. He looked out around them and saw a coyote way off in the distance. Elroy plodded along with his head down, and the boy watched the coyote trot through the sagebrush and then dip down into a gully. He's a stupid fucker, Lonnie said. We should work somewhere else. I like Maureen, though, Charlie said. She's all right, and she cooks good, and she lets us steal a line off her cable, so that's one reason to stay. And I guess we have to remember he's so hungover all the time, he only bosses us around a couple times a week. That's true. But he's a serious asshole, Lonnie declared. And he's stupid, Charlie added. They climbed over a hill and went down a gully and started up the other side. They saw a handful of cattle walking through the sagebrush and a lone deer. Well, how you feeling now, Lonnie asked. I think I'm feeling a little bit better. Good, because I'm tired of pushing this thing. You mind swapping? Oh, I don't mind, Charlie said and stopped. He got down off Elroy and took the motorcycle from Lonnie and began pushing. So how is it down there, Lonnie asked minutes later. It ain't too bad, Charlie said. Once I get to the top, I can just coast down all the way to Herringfield's place. Yeah, but you got a serious hill to climb first. 
Well, thanks, Charlie said. My pleasure, Lonnie said. Well, Elroy knows the way, so I think I might just take a nap and let him do the driving. So don't talk and bother me, all right? Charlie stopped and looked at him. But the second you fall asleep, Elroy will quit and I'll be working at Herringfields all day and you'll still be here when I come back. You're probably right about that, Lonnie said. Elroy's the laziest horse I've ever met. He took a waffle wrapped in a paper towel out of his pocket and began to eat it. Then he said, Does it feel to you like this hill will never end? Well, it's not that bad, Charlie said. But you're sick. It's got to be hard. Charlie laughed, and that made him cough. You need to stop. Not yet, Charlie said. Shit, man. Maybe this wasn't the best idea I ever had. Look ahead. That hill goes on for another half mile. It's not that hard, Charlie said. I ain't complaining, so leave me alone. They came to a woman's bra sitting in the middle of the road. It was pink and white in a floral pattern. Charlie stopped and Lonnie got down from the horse. It looks new, Lonnie said. It's a fancy bra. You know a lot about bras, huh? Charlie asked. More than most, Lonnie said and grinned. And it seems to me, in my experience, no girl, unless she's drunk as shit or rich, would throw out a brand new bra. Maybe she was just drunk and waving it around out the window when she dropped it. It's winter, Lonnie said, and women hate being cold. Anyway, there's nothing around here for 30 miles. Why would you come out here and wave your bra around in the sagebrush? Well, maybe someone was moving and it fell off a truck, Charlie said. Maybe, but I don't know, Lonnie said, and got back on Elroy, and they started going again. Mr. Herringfield was a huge man in his early 60s, dressed in blue coveralls. He was in his shop when he saw the two boys come up the gravel drive. He had thick gray hair and was overweight by 150 pounds. He wore a handlebar mustache and had a half-inch wide scar on his nose. Holy shit, Lonnie, you're on time. I should be laying on the ground dead from shock. Hell, man, I'm always on time, Lonnie said and jumped down from the horse. I'm like a Timex watch. No, you aren't. You're always late, Charlie said. Lonnie shook his head. That hurts, man. That really hurts. Jesus, what happened to your teeth? Mr. Herringfield asked. Well, I couldn't find them this morning. They must have walked off sometime last night, Lonnie said. And then he led the old horse to the barn. When he came back, he took the motorcycle from the boy and pushed it in front of Mr. Herringfield, turned on the gas and kicked it over twice. The engine caught and idled. It's got a new back tire as well. I told you it runs nice. Just listen to it. Charlie stood confused. I thought you said it didn't run. What? Lonnie said. I thought you said it was broken. I don't know what he's saying, Mr. Herringfield. It's always run. It's indestructible. It's the best motorcycle Honda ever made. That's the truth as I know it, and I'm no bullshitter. Well, Mr. Herringfield sat on the bike, his weight nearly bottoming out the back tire. Lonnie watched nervously while the fat old man rode it around his driveway. Back and forth and back and forth he went, and Lonnie began sweating with worry. But five minutes later, Mr. Herringfield pulled into the shop and cut the engine. What's your deal, he said. Well, I figured you'd like it, Lonnie said in relief. Now all we got to do is fix your plumbing. Well, that's right, the old man said. Let's get rolling on that before it starts snowing. He walked the boys down the gravel road to his house. 
Then they went across a frozen lawn and stopped in front of the foundation. It was cinder block and painted gray, and he pulled off a plywood door. Behind it was a two-and-a-half-foot-wide hole leading underneath the home. So that's the crossface, the old man said. Which one of you guys is going in? Well, like I said on the phone, Mr. Herringfield, and I'm not afraid to admit it, small spaces freak the shit out of me, so I can't go in there. But Charlie here, he said he'd do it. Charlie's nose kept running. He wiped it on his coat sleeve and said, But I don't know anything about plumbing. Well, I'll tell you what to do, Mr. Herringfield said. First, I'll get you some coveralls, a hood, and some safety glasses. We have to remember to duct tape the coveralls around your wrists. There's a shitload of black widow spiders in there, Lonnie said. But won't they be hibernating, Charlie asked. You'd think that, but it's the opposite, the old man said. We keep the thermostat at 70, and every goddamn bug and snake and rat within five miles lives underneath the house to keep warm. So be careful, especially if you see any rattlers. We'll tie a rope around your foot, and if you scream, we'll start pulling you out. I'll give you a knife, too. A knife? But snakes, they're too quick. Lonnie shook his head, then grabbed Charlie's arm. They always go for your arms, but they'll have a hard time getting through the coveralls, so when it bites down on you, grab it and start stabbing the shit out of it. But what if I miss, Charlie said nervously. Don't miss, Lonnie said. It's 70 miles to the nearest hospital. In the shop, Mr. Herringfield found a pair of coveralls that fit the boy, and he put them on. Lonnie wrapped layer after layer of duct tape around his wrist, taping the sleeves to the boy's skin. He did the same to his pant legs. The old man gave him a painting hood, and Lonnie taped it to the coveralls. Then they put a pair of safety goggles on the boy and walked him back to the crawl space. So what do I do exactly when I get in there? Charlie asked. I'm not sure yet, the old man said. It's a sure line, though. It's the biggest one in there, and it smells like death. What does it look like? It's big and black, and it's the one with shit oozing out of it. Just get in there and tell us what you see, and then we'll know what to do. But hurry up, Lonnie said. I'm freezing my ass off, and Mr. Herringfield promised me donuts. You ain't stealing my donuts this time, Mr. Herringfield said. But Lonnie just laughed, and the boy got down on the ground and laid flat out on his back and nervously began going in the crawl space. Hold on a second, Charlie. I forgot about the knife, Lonnie told him. And he ran back to the shop and came back with a rope and a rusted out machete. Well, how am I going to cut a snake's head off with this thing, Charlie asked and took the blade. It's too big. The crawl space will open up enough, Lonnie said. You just grab the snake and start chopping the shit out of it. But how, how am I going to grab a hold of it and the machete and move around if I'm on my back, he stammered. Jesus, you worry too much. Just get in there, Lonnie said. Snakes aren't as quick as people say. Um, and you guys, you guys will pull me out if I start yelling. That's right, Lonnie said, and got down on his knees and tied the frayed rope around Charlie's legs. All right, get moving. The boy slowly went underneath the house. The safety goggles began to fog until only shadows and the outlines of insulation appeared. Well, I can't really see anything, he said. Maybe we should get a flashlight. What? Lonnie called. A flashlight. There was a long pause and Mr. Herringfield said, There's one in there. Just keep going. The boy was almost all the way in when Lonnie yelled, Stop, man! Well, what's wrong? Mr. Herringfield says there might be a den of coyotes in there. Coyotes? Don't worry, they shouldn't bother you unless the mom's in there. 
But if you see her, get the hell out of there or she'll tear your head off. Anyway, just keep going. The boy started moving again nervously when Lonnie began screaming, She's in there! Jesus, she's in there! Get out! He and Mr. Herringfield then grabbed the rope and dragged the boy out as fast as they could. And then Lonnie went over to Charlie and stood above him laughing and he laughed so hard he fell on the ground. I told you, Mr. Herringfield, you'll never find a guy who'll work harder than Charlie. He even pushed the bike up the whole goddamn hill and didn't complain once. The old man laughed. Charlie, didn't you know I'm a plumber? My house is better set than any house anywhere. Anyway, I can reach all my pipes from the basement. The boy sat up blind. The safety goggles were completely fogged over. He took them off. I don't understand, he said. Lonnie kept laughing hysterically. Well, what are you laughing about? I put a whole roll of duct tape on you. It's going to take an hour to get it off. Shit, man, it's your birthday. For fuck's sake, you think we'd make you crawl underneath the house? But I thought we had a job to do, the boy said, confused. Come on, get up, Lonnie said, and reached out his hand. And Charlie took it and was helped to his feet. Didn't I tell you he was a good guy, Mr. Herringfield? I told you he was. They took the hood off the boy, then the duct tape and coveralls. Then Mr. Herringfield led them back to a barn where they walked down a row of stalls and stopped in front of a black quarter horse. I bought this horse for you, Charlie. His name's Pete and he's the best horse Mr. Herringfield's ever had. He's Mr. Herringfield's pride and joy. Ain't that right, Mr. Herringfield? The old man just nodded. He's a good horse. I'm just too old and fat to be riding anymore. Well, happy birthday, Lonnie said. I don't understand, Charlie said. Pete's your horse now, Lonnie exclaimed. He's your birthday present, dumbass. Pete stood half asleep, tied to the bumper of a broken-down truck outside of Mr. Herringfield's shop, while Charlie stumbled around inside a 28-foot trailer that the old man used for storage. Underneath an old roll of metal fencing, he saw his saddle and brought it out. Mr. Herringfield looked it over. It's yours, Charlie. I don't need it anymore, and it's a miracle the mice that haven't gotten to it, so take it before they do, and take any of the saddle blankets I have in the barn, and find yourself a good rope halter. Lonnie went to work cleaning the saddle, and a half hour later Pete was saddled and standing tied next to Elroy. I've never had my own horse, Charlie said to the old man. They were watching Lonnie walk across the gravel drive to the old man's house to get a cup of coffee. Well, Pete's got a lot of zip. So be careful. He's a kid, but he's got a sensitive touch. You just barely tell him what to do, and he'll do it. But watch out. He ain't any smarter than Lonnie, and he's a hell of a lot more dangerous. I can't thank you enough, Mr. Herringfield. Thank Lonnie. He gave up his bike. You can thank me for this. Happy birthday, son. The old man handed him a machete and a dried-out leather sheath. He began laughing, and he had a funny laugh. It was high, but deep at the same time.
They rode out into the mid-morning, but the sky became blanketed in clouds. It had barely warmed up and now it was getting cold again. Lonnie was trying to drink a cup of coffee and eat a donut while kicking Elroy to keep him moving. I swear, you have to beat the shit out of him just to get him move a foot. I work harder trying to get him to move than if I had to carry his fat ass on my back. So how are things going over there? Mr. Herringfield's right. You barely tell Pete what to do and he does it, the boy said. I knew when I saw him you'd like him, Lonnie said and took another donut from his coat pocket. Geez, how many donuts did you take? Well, I ate three there and I got four in my pockets, Lonnie said and smiled. He's going to be pissed. We'll get a call about it, I bet. I cleaned him out. I worked over at his place for a month last year. Every morning he wakes up at six and drinks instant coffee and eats donuts until he eats lunch. I swear he must eat ten a day. Well, I guess that's why he's so fat, Charlie said. Man, he's got the worst eating habits any guy ever met, Lonnie said, and took a dented glazed donut from his pocket and handed it to Charlie. You know what I've been thinking? Is that we'll head north, maybe until we hit Jasper Hot Springs. Maybe that's what you need. You need to sweat it out of you. The water's hot and there ain't nobody up there. Then we'll go past old V-Bar P Ranch. That road runs into the Forest Service Road, and that'll take us back to the house just in time for dinner. She said she was making lasagna tonight. And look, don't worry about lunch. I made sandwiches this morning while you were sleeping, so we got enough to eat. Lonnie finished his coffee and put the cup in his pocket and led them off the road, down a shallow ditch and up the other side. They went a mile along dirt and rock and sagebrush. In the distance, vast mountain ranges appeared. The clouds grew worse and flurries of snow began. They rode on until they came to the remains of an abandoned ranch. Then they went a half mile further and stopped in front of a bedroom-sized concrete box set in the ground. There was a pipe running hot spring water into it. Lonnie jumped down off Elroy and tied him to a concrete piling. He took off his coat and pulled up his shirt sleeve and slowly stuck his arm in the water. It's hot, but it's not too hot, he said. Then he took off his clothes down to his underwear and got in. Just be careful with your feet. Some asshole broke a bottle in here a while ago. I got most of it out, but you never know. Charlie tied Pete to the same piling. He loosened the horse's cinch and did the same to Elroy's, then began taking off his clothes. The wind blew down on him, and he began coughing. When he was down to his underwear, he went over to the water and got in. I don't feel so good, Lonnie, he said weakly. It'll help you out. Just don't get your hair wet. The boy nodded, and they both sat looking out over the wide, desolate valley. We won't stay long, just until you feel a little bit better, all right, Lonnie said. Okay, Charlie said. I like it here. This is a nice place. Oh, you got that right, Lonnie said and leaned back against the concrete wall and closed his eyes. This is my all-time favorite place. The steam rose up around them and disappeared into a now worsening sky. Lonnie was eating a ham sandwich with one hand and holding a Coke in the other while Elroy walked slow and tired along the washed-out road. So you feeling any better now, he asked. I think I'm all right, Charlie said, but he wasn't. The hot water had made him tired and groggy, and now he was sick to his stomach. They rode over a hill, and at the top they could see down at the long, deserted V-Bar P ranch. Lonnie stopped and took a pair of binoculars from his saddlebag. Something's going on, he said. Well, what do you mean? See where the house used to be? The only thing standing there is the chimney, but there's smoke coming out of it. That doesn't make any sense. He handed the binoculars to Charlie, 
The boy took them and focused down at the ranch and found the broken and fallen house. He followed the boards and the rusted out metal roof until he came to the chimney. A steady stream of gray and black smoke came from it. He looked past it to a half-collapsed hay barn and saw a blue pickup truck parked inside. Did you see the truck parked in the barn? He said and gave the binoculars back. Lonnie focused on it. It looks like a brand new truck, too, he said, and put the binoculars back in his saddlebag and kicked Elroy. Oh, maybe somebody bought the place. Let's go down there and check it out. But maybe they won't want us to. Ah, they're probably begging for company. They'll probably give us dinner. Oh, maybe there'll be some girls. Charlie just nodded. He thought he might be sick. He wiped his nose on his coat sleeve. Then he and Pete began following behind. They went down a long gravel road until it washed out. They came to the V-bar P fence line and stopped. A series of new, no trespassing signs were stapled to the fence posts. Lonnie glanced at him, then kicked Elroy and continued on until they came to the remains of the home. They tied the horses to a broken picnic table, and smoke from the chimney billowed out and the wind blew it down over them. Oh, it smells like dead cats, Lonnie said. He pulled his coat around his nose and walked up to the chimney. But the fireplace was empty. There were no flames, no coals. He kneeled down and saw a shiny metal pipe coming from the bottom of the hearth up through the old chimney stack. It looks like it's coming from underground, he said. Another gust of wind blew the smoke into them, and Charlie began coughing, and he couldn't stop. Lonnie looked over at him worriedly, and when he did, he saw a tall, thin man carrying a baseball bat coming from the caved-in barn. Hey, Charlie, Lonnie said and pointed. Look at that guy coming. The boy turned to see the man, but as he did, the ground around him began to give way, and suddenly he disappeared. Lonnie ran over to see that there was a hole in the ground, but he couldn't see anything down it. There was just blackness and the faint sound of Charlie coughing. Hang on, man, he yelled into the darkness. When he looked up, he saw the man upon him, a man with tattoos on his hands, a man who was six and a half feet tall, wearing jeans and a down orange coat. My friend just fell down that hole, Lonnie said. But the man just took the baseball bat and hit Lonnie Dixon as hard as he could in the neck. The boy landed on his back, but he got up all right. He wasn't hurt. He felt through his pocket and took out a lighter. He was in an old mine. He was two shafts down. He looked up through the hole to the gray sky and saw the man in the orange coat. Then suddenly, Lonnie's body fell down the hole and Charlie tried to catch him, but Lonnie crashed into him and crushed him into the ground, knocking the wind out of him. The boy couldn't breathe and felt a sharp pain in his leg. He pushed Lonnie off and panicked until he got his wind back. He found his lighter and saw that there was a nail from a board stuck into his calf. The lighter burned at his hand and he shut it off. In the darkness, he pulled the nail out of his leg, then reached into his pockets, put on his work gloves, and grabbed the lighter again. Lonnie lay unconscious, but he was breathing. The boy whispered to him, but he didn't answer. In the distance, he could hear someone yelling, and dust fell down, and the old shaft timbers moaned. They were moving above him. He grabbed Lonnie by the arms and dragged him from the noise. He went a long way in the darkness. He came to a canvas sleeping bag hanging over the entrance to another shaft. There was light on the other side. 
He set Lonnie down and moved the canvas bag to see a naked girl curled in a ball on a small Mexican blanket. The room wasn't a shaft, it was a cave. The light came from an old Coleman lantern which sat on the metal rim of an old car wheel. There was a chain around her foot connected to a large wooden beam. He recognized her face but he couldn't remember where from. Who are you? he asked. Oh please, please get me out of here, the girl said and began crying. Her face was dusty and her eyes were bloodshot. There was a ring that ran around her lower lip. Will you get me out of here, please? But I don't know how, Charlie said and went to her. He looked at the chain. The key, the key to the lock is hanging on the nail above that beam over there. The boy found the key and unlocked the girl and she got up as fast as she could. She went to the distant corner where a red backpack was. She looked through it and took a pair of black sweats and some white tennis shoes and dressed. She grabbed the Coleman lantern and they left the room. She led the way while Charlie struggled behind, dragging Lonnie. They came to the end where a wooden wall, speckled with light from outside, stood, locking them in. But the wood was old and they broke enough of it to get through. They dragged Lonnie a hundred yards from the house. They stopped hidden behind a small hill of tailings. I can't help anymore, she said. I have to run. Who's there? Charlie asked. It's two men and a woman. They're heading to Arizona. They have a camper and a truck. She was so frightened she was nearly shaken. I'm sorry, but I can't stay. I'd rather kill myself than go back there. Well, if you head north, Charlie said and pointed. If you go around that hill on the other side, maybe a mile, that's Mr. Herringfield's property. He's got a phone and he's a good guy. But if you make it, will you call the police and an ambulance and have them come out here? I will, she said, and then she just began running. He watched her as she went north across the long sagebrush valley towards the mountains. He took off his coat and put it under Lonnie's head. He looked over the hill to the house and saw the man in the orange coat carrying a rifle. The wind began to howl and the snow started again. He heard gunshots, but the girl kept running. What's going on? Lonnie asked weakly. I don't really know, Charlie said. Who's shooting? The guy in the orange coat. Who's he shooting at? A girl. A girl. Are you going to be all right, the boy asked. I can't feel anything, Charlie. I can't feel anything at all. And I'm freezing. I can't move my legs. The boy took off his flannel shirt and put it over Lonnie. Where are the horses? They're up by the chimney, the boy said. Oh, you should get out of here. I'm not going to leave you. But I can't feel anything, Lonnie said, and tears welled in his eyes. What the hell am I going to do? Don't worry. I'll get the horses, and then we can ride in the opposite direction. We'll go to the Perny place. But Lonnie didn't say anything more. He just closed his eyes and was out. The boy saw the girl still running, and the tall man followed her at a loping jog. Every once in a while he'd stop and take a shot at her, but he never hit her. Charlie went up to the house as fast as he could. He was sweating and trying not to cough. He came to a man and a woman standing over Elroy. The horse's legs were cut and bleeding. The woman was topless and her back was covered in a tattoo of a skeleton riding a dragon. The skeleton was looking at a naked woman who was staring at a reflection in a pool of water. The man had Herringfield's rusted machete and was chopping at Elroy's neck. Charlie screamed for him to stop, then he ran for Pete. He ran as fast as he could, but it was like concrete replaced his legs and his lungs. He began crying, 
Pete was tied to the bumper of the blue truck, and by the time Charlie got to him, the man with the machete was after him. They rode as fast as they could down the dirt road, and the blue truck started behind them and followed. Please, Pete, please, Charlie said, and kicked the horse who began galloping down the rough, uneven road. The horse ran and ran and ran. It was near nighttime and snowing when they came down from the mountains. Pete was lame as they went towards the ruined ranch and the place they'd left Lonnie. When they came to the hill of tailings, Charlie kneeled beside him and gently shook his friend. Are you okay, he asked. Lonnie slowly opened his eyes. What happened? I got chased, and now Pete's lame and he's bleeding out of his nose. Where's Elroy? They killed him. They killed Elroy? Yeah, I'm going to lift you up on Pete, all right? But I can't feel anything, Charlie. I'll help you, the boy said. He bent down and dragged him next to Pete. Then he picked him up and tried to get him on the horse. He tried three times, but he didn't have the strength to do it. Just leave me here. No, I'll get you on, the boy said, and dragged Lonnie to the top of the tailings hill, then moved Pete to the bottom. He held on to the lead rope and tried the best he could to drag Lonnie onto Pete. The horse spooked twice, but finally the boy got Lonnie on, laying stomach down across the saddle. As darkness hit, they walked through the valley towards a perny place. Snow and wind and darkness blanketed them. They'd gone nearly a mile when Lonnie began wheezing. Are you all right? Charlie asked and stopped. Get me down. I can't breathe. The boy helped him to the ground. Is this any better? He asked. I still can't breathe, Lonnie said faintly. I can't breathe hardly at all. Then his voice suddenly filled with panic. Jesus, Charlie, I'm going to die. You're not going to die, the boy said. I'm going to, Lonnie said. The boy began coughing, and his leg ached, and he was shivering. He looked out across the valley and saw headlights moving towards him. They're coming, he said. They're coming towards us. He looked at Lonnie, but Lonnie had quit wheezing. He'd quit breathing at all. Charlie, Charlie, his aunt said. Charlie, wake up. The boy lay on the couch, still covered in blankets in the sleeping bag. He opened his eyes. Where am I? You're at home, she said. She ran her hand through his sweat-soaked hair. You were having a bad dream. You've been really sick. My leg hurts. You probably have a cramp, she said. The boy sat up and coughed, and he coughed for a long time. He was sweating. He pushed the sleeping bag off him. He tried to straighten out his leg. I had a nightmare. It's because of the fever, she said. The fever? You've been running a temperature of 103. I have? His aunt nodded. Would it be all right if I used the phone? Are you sure you're up for it? I have to, he said, then stood, dressed in new white long underwear. 
His jeans hung over a chair and he took out his wallet. He found a phone number written on a scrap piece of paper. He went to the kitchen and sat down at the table. He felt cold and his chest hurt just breathing. He was exhausted. He dialed the number and waited for an answer and a woman came on the line. Is Lonnie there? No, the woman said. Who is this? It's Charlie Thompson. I'm a friend of his. Lonnie drove into Tonopah an hour ago. There was a movie he wanted to see. He'll be back late tonight, but you call tomorrow, all right? Okay, the boy said, and then he hung up the phone. He put his hands over his face, and then he broke down crying in relief. <laughs>